How much total money, fake money, is provided in a standard Monopoly game? And what one word is the same in every language around the world? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to The Off-Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, Marsha, this will give you perspective. How much money, fake money, is provided in a standard Monopoly game? Now, you're buying railroads, you're buying houses and streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A million dollars. A million dollars. <laughs> I like the way you could One be a host. One million dollars. <laughs> no, you know, it's only 15100 No. Yes. No. $15,140 if you have a game that was produced before 2008. And if you have a newer game from 2008 on, you have $20,580. Now, remember, it came out in the Great Depression, so that was oh, a lot of money back yeah, then. But what do you pay for a railroad? I, About $1,000, apparently. Guess so, wow. Well, Incidentally, did you know this? Real money was slipped into packs of play money smuggled into POW camps inside Germany during World War II to help Allied soldiers who might escape. These, these games were delivered by the Red Cross and the British intelligence, in addition to the you know usual trinkets you had in there. They had a metal file, a compass, and maps printed on silk. Silk because it didn't make any noise, and you could fold it very tightly. Waddington, that's the company that also did the Monopoly games, they had invented printing on silk for theater programs to keep the theater programs quiet during performances. So they just transferred that technology to the uh, maps of safe houses near the prison camps. You're kidding. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Plus, they had real French, German, and Italian money hidden underneath the fake money of the game. Wow, that is very interesting. Talking about POW camps? Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Okay, Bob. What one word is the same in every language around the world? Yes. No, the word would be uh, U-H, meaning uh. You know, it's one of those gestures. It's something Uh like that, isn't it? It's something like that. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. You got half of it there. Oh, you said, uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's huh. H-U-H. It, yeah. Oh, really? According to scientists from the Max Planck Institute of Psycholinguistics, which I check in with periodically, wow. there is only one word in existence that's the same in every language. The word is huh. Recording informal language across five continents, the scientists said that huh is the most universally understood term in the world. According to the study, huh is the only word capable of stating that there is a problem with what is being said. There is no other word capable of filling its place universally. Huh. In every language. Huh, I didn't get that. Huh, yeah. that's surprising. <laughs> or huh, So How it about has that? different meanings then. Huh, huh, huh. Okay. <laughs> huh? <laughs> we had a question that came up last week. Oh, you're saying Marsha had a question. And uh, more than one ramper has informed us that we were not correct. So here's the question. The brightest star in our sky is called Sirius, which is closer than most at 8.6 light years away. If it burned out tomorrow, Bob, how long would it take us to to know. know about it? 
My answer to that was I was thinking how long would it take to get there because you can't travel at light speed. You know, it's, that's the speed of light. It's very fast. So I said like 100 or 150 years, and you said, no, it's 10 years. And neither one of us were right. Yeah, I had a decade, and I cannot for the life of me find out the source of that. So what is the answer, Marsh? Well, as people have told me, it says it in the question, 8.6 years. That's how fast, it, that's how long it takes light to travel. So if the light went out, we would know 8.6 years after it went out. So Perfect. that's the answer we should have given. Yes. Okay. Okay. So we apologize. <laughs> no, you know, it's good that people reacted to that. Well, they listen. Yeah, that tells you and something, And they love telling it? us we're wrong, and that's okay. That shows people are listening. <laughs> well, here's an interesting one, okay? Okay. Now, this is another question on a toy. Uh-huh. What is the unique physical feature of a G.I. Joe that doubles as a trademark? Okay. There's a physical feature that is very unique to G.I. Joe that doubles as a trademark of that doll. Or, I'm sorry, the action figure. They, they never yeah. call it a doll. No, no, because it's not manly. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, well, I assume there's a G on his uniform somewhere. No, no, it no? isn't. I don't know then. This is interesting. I've never really examined a G.I. Joe doll, but its thumbnails are deliberately cast on the inside what? instead of the outside of the hand. So it's like you saw a G.I. Joe under the hand would be the fingernails. And that's the trademark? Well, that gave the action figure an easily identifiable characteristic, and it doubled as a trademark. And it was, you know, if you copied that, you obviously copied our action figure. Huh. So again, the thumbnails are deliberately cast on the inside instead of the outside of the hand. Very distinctive feature of G.I. Joe. Well, that's so that, enlightening, And I Pop. can give you my source. That comes from Who Knew? A book by David Hoffman. Okay. Here's something you'll find curious. What percentage of the world's population lives in the Northern Hemisphere? Give me a percentage. And that's around the world, not the Northern Hemisphere of the Americas, but right, around the world. the world. Yeah. I would say most of the population of the Earth lives in the Northern Hemisphere. Would you? Am I wrong? Well, how much would you say? Well, percentage-wise. 60%. That's a good 60 guess. to 70% of the yeah. world, because that's where almost all the industrialized world is. You know, there's uh -huh. not too many factories, anything in the below, and except places like Australia, you know, New Zealand, yeah. and that area. And the answer is 90%, which is hard to believe. Wow. 90% of the world's population lives above the equator then. Correct. According to mapmaker Bill Rankin. Wow. He also says that half of all earthlings live north of the 27th parallel. For perspective, Chicago is at 41 north, so it's well below that. North Interesting. North of the 27th parable. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, yeah. Again, it's like 90% of the world's population lives above the, the equator. equator. Wow. Okay. This is a question about an author, okay? All right. What author is credited with inventing the word nerd? What century? It's a 20th century author. Yeah, it's author. Sort of kind of figured. Uh, it wasn't, uh, he wasn't a playwright, was it? No. Well, no. Because, <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I don't know. Things that he wrote became TV shows and became it, specials and, oh. be and became, probably became was it, plays. Was it, what's his name? Who, Marsh? I can see him, the guy with the little hat on. He was always wearing the, the little boat hat. 
You know? Okay, what's his name? Dr. Seuss, Marsh. No, that's not who he didn't wear. That's say the like answer. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Really? He came up with nerd? Yes. Okay. It, it came yeah. from his book, If I Ran the Zoo. That's uh-huh. the first noted occurrence of that word, and that dates from 1950. And uh, the book's narrator lists various imaginary creatures he hoped would keep in the zoo if he were allowed to run it, whatever the objections other people might raise. And here's the sentence it came from. And then, just to show them, I'll sail to Katru and bring back an itkutch, a preep, and a prue, a nurkle, a nerd, and a seersucker, too. <laughs> And that's the first sentence that ever had, had the word, the word nerd. nerd. Yeah. And nerd, in his case, was a small humanoid-like creature that looked comically angry. Well, I wonder how it got the definition it does today. I don't know. This is the next reference in 1951, October 8. Uh, in Detroit, someone who once would have been called a drip or a square is now, regrettably, a nerd, or in a less severe case, a scurve. So these, <laughs> there scurve. were all these terms that were coming out of about teenagers in the 50s, but nerd was one that stuck uh-huh. from Dr. Seuss. Okay, this you'll also like, Bob. According to a study done by a Harvard economist, James Besant, what is the only occupation completely eliminated by automation since 1950. The only occupation? There's only one that has been completely eliminated. (laughs) He did a complete comparison of the 1950 census to the 2010 census, which is 60 years, and it's the only job that wasn't there anymore since 1950. Wow, that's... You'd think there'd be uh, a lot of them that have been um, replaced by automation. Can you give me any other clues on that? Yeah, you should know this. Well, thank you. <laughs> That's very helpful. Boy, was that helpful. Was a, oh, okay. I know the answer now. Okay. Elevator operator. Oh. <laughs> See, some have some robots have replaced some jobs, but it's the only job that wasn't there anymore. It took Automation. a long time to happen, but by 2010, they were it all gone. It wasn't on the list anymore. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. It's sort of sad, too. I always still like that. Yeah, you had a little chance when to you talk were with kid. somebody. Yeah, yeah. If they had a good sense of humor, it was fun. If not, it wasn't. <laughs> they, they were actually very nice. You know, yes. those people yeah, were always pleasant. And really. Imagine all the people they saw. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Marcia, out of 4,000 species of flowers, how many actually give off a pleasant smell? <laughs> out of how many? Out of 4,000. I'll say... Uh, 1,812. It's actually less than that, according to a study that was done a number of years ago, a survey that showed there are 4,000 species of flowers. But of those only 400, one out of 10 gave off a pleasant smell. The same survey showed that flowers with white or cream-colored petals gave off the most perfume. Really? Yeah. How interesting. Well, lilies, yeah, like Easter lilies. Okay, from beautiful smelling flowers to stinky cheese. Of course, I don't know if it's stinky. But... This is an aroma question. Another aroma question. Okay. New this, category. This is, uh, you know. We're... Aromas for 10, Bill. We live. <laughs> what is the world's most dangerous cheese? A dangerous cheese? Dangerous cheese. Well, in what way is it dangerous? Potentially dangerous. Potentially dangerous? Yes. Well, I could say a glass of water is potentially dangerous because I might drown. Well, that's true. But this is CNN reports on this cheese. It's called Casu Marzu. And what is wrong with Casu Marzu? Well, there's nothing wrong Other with it. Other than the name. The Italian <laughs> shepherds of Sardinia produce this marvelous cheese. 
but it's maggot infested, and that's <laughs> dear. <laughs> it uh, that in 2009 the Guinness Book of World's Records proclaimed it as the most dangerous cheese. Uh, the cheese is banned from commercial sale because the maggots may form micro perforations in the intestines of the consumer. Dear. Although so far, uh, allegedly, no deaths have been linked to it. There aren't that many people that eat it. The gastronomes love it, though, and they say they will continue enjoying the creamy, infested, and spicy cheese. It has an aftertaste, a delicious aftertaste that lasts for hours. But that may be all the longer you live. <laughs> I know, it's creepy. Jeez. But it's... Uh, God. But that's, that's... Well, here's a story about aroma and smell that's a positive story. Okay, good. Okay. Now, right. just how sensitive are dogs in terms of their ability to smell and sniff? How many scent receptors does the average dog have? Any idea? Compared to human beings? No. Yeah, I'll give you a hint. Human <laughs> beings you. have five million. Oh, Five, five million. million. Okay. Only so, five million. Wow, I didn't know we had that many. Scent receptors. Okay. How many do dogs have? They have uh, 50 million. 300 million. million. Oh, wow. That's why dogs have been trained to detect odors of drugs and explosives, cancer, malaria, diabetes, and COVID-19. Yes, I've heard that. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. They're being trained to sniff out COVID-19 infections, including people without symptoms. First time dogs have ever been able to detect a viral disease. Yeah. It turns out one dog can screen 200 to 300 people a day, and the cost to screen via dog is a fraction of those nasal swab tests. And NASCAR has used COVID-19 sniffing dogs to screen drivers, mechanics, and other employees at Atlanta's Motor Speedways, at Alabama's Talladega Speedway, and South Carolina's Darlington Raceways. They're trained to sit in front of somebody who they can smell there's something wrong with this. Uh-huh. And then they do a nasal swab to that person. Oh, isn't that something? But that something? saves them from doing nasal swabs all over the place. Yeah. What an interesting thing. That is thing. cool. You know what would even be better? An elephant. An they, elephant? Yeah. They have the uh, most receptors, and don't ask me how much off the top of my head, uh, they have the strongest smell of any animal in the world. I just would feel it a little bit scary in, to intrus- have a big elephant's <laughs> trunk sniffing or, me. You or know? at the airport. Oh, it can, an elephant can smell water from 12 miles away. Holy cow. Okay. Now, this is for you, Bob, and our fellow Sherlockians, okay? Okay. All right. What are the only two Sherlock Holmes stories written with Sherlock and not Watson as narrator? Oh, yeah. And this is the same author, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, but for some reason he wrote several without Watson. And wasn't it the uh, engineer's thumb? Wasn't that one of them? No, I'll give you two hints Okay. uh, for the two stories. All right. I'll just say lepers and jellyfish. Oh, the blanched soldier. Right. That's one. Jellyfish. Oh, um, that's the one about the beach, and uh, what's the name of that one? The Lion's Mane. The the Lion's Mane. The Lion's Mane, that's right. Oh, dear. But, yeah, otherwise, it's always Watson narrating it. Okay, I've got a question, then we'll take a break here, okay? Okay. Of all the things in your childhood, what is the one thing that you undoubtedly used as a kid that has been proven to lower blood pressure if you... Sniff it as an adult. Well, that's weird. Well, it goes along with our aroma questions here. <laughs> if you sniff it as an adult when and you're And it a lowers kid, your blood pressure. I don't know. An evergreen tree. Christmas no. tree. 
Crayola crayons. Really? Crayola crayons. The smell of Crayola crayons is so familiar, they're considered、oh. one of the 20 most recognizable scents by American adults. It's so soothing that sniffing the crayons has been proven to lower blood pressure. Oh, the memory makes you so calm, it lowers your blood pressure. It takes you to another place in time. That's very cool. And the other 20、uh, recognizable scents by American adults include coffee and peanut butter. So those are two other coffee, ones that have. Coffee, peanut butter. And、uh, Crayola crayons. What about coffee? Fresh smelling、uh, coffee.、Uh. Hey, let's take a break and get some coffee. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Off Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. Okay, we're here with more questions on today's trivia. Marcia, what you got there? This is a gimme for you. Okay. Who was the only president who was a former president of a labor union? Ronald Reagan. That's right. And what was the union? Screen Actors Guild. That's right. He, before he was governor, he was president of the Screen Actors Guild. My、so. union. The、yes. only union I've ever belonged to. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. I wanted to give one to make sure you got one right.、Bob. I got more than one right in this show. Okay, go ahead. Okay, let me ask you this Did you ever have a slinky? Of course, many. Many? Oh, you had many slinkies.、Mm-hmm. What did you lose them or what? I, did I they walk away from I you? I kind of outstretched them. I、usually. thought maybe they I, went know, down、I'd, the stairs and out the door. Yeah, I'd connect them to a doorknob and see how far I could walk away from it before <laughs> it unslinked. Did you really? Oh, yeah. Were you one of those kids that bent up your slinky and、I、ruined、did. your slinky? I did. And it never came back to the no, right shape? No, never did. Okay, well, how long was a standard slinky if you stretched it out? Well, this I should know, right? You should know. You just described doing this. 12 feet. No. If you actually stretched the wire out all, all the way. All the way. Oh, that's right. I never was it because that takes a lot of strength to do that. So we'll say 50 feet. 63 feet of、ah. wire. So that's、oh. like from pitcher's mound to home plate on a baseball field. You'd have to flatten 86 coil turns to do that because that's what each slinky has 86 coil turns and 63 feet of wire. That's a lot of wire. That, 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 I, isn't that interesting? Yeah. I think. Well, anyway, Bob, the Hoovers and the Coolidges. Okay. Presidents. They were the only two presidential families that had their own way of preventing their conversations from being overheard by White House guests or staff. Oh, really? Yeah. What did they, they had like a signal or something? What they gave did one they、another? do so that people didn't know what they were talking about? So they wouldn't be overheard by strangers. Did they have code words they used? No. Okay. Did they well, do hand signals or something like that? That's one of them. Sign language. The Coolidges talked to each other in sign language when they were in the White House、uh, hmm. office and stuff. But the Hoovers. They took it a step farther. They talked to each other in Chinese if anybody else was around. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like Herbert, bring home a loaf of bread in Chinese. Well, I think the Secret Service would want to know if the president's going to go out to the market. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, you know, and he was a, a very famous person prior to being president. You know, he was a mining engineer, he had written books, and he was responsible for helping to feed Europe after World War I. He was the man in charge of the U.S. program to help feed Europe, like the Marshall Plan after World War、uh-huh. II. It's a shame his presidency just didn't,、uh, you know, it doesn't have a good reputation because of the Depression and everything. Yeah. I'm going to go back to something we discussed on an earlier show the Ouija board. And you were a Ouija board aficionado. I was. The Mystic Marsha, I、that、think is, you called that is yourself. That's correct. Yes. yes, sir. So, where did the Ouija board get its name? 
and I pronounced it Ouija board because that's how it's actually pronounced. Yeah. Not Ouija, it's yeah. Ouija. Ouija. And what was the question? How did it get its name? What does the name mean? Ouija. I haven't a clue. O U I. Yeah, J. J A. O U I is French for yes. Yes. And Ya is German for yes. So oh, it's yes, yeah. yes in French and German. I'll be That's dang. what the name means. Yes, yes, in French and German. The board was patented in 1890, and it was a commercial version of the planchette boards or talking boards that were used by American spiritualists in the 1880s. And I, I've got some interesting facts about Ouija boards in pop culture over the years. Okay. I think you'll find interesting. So a century ago, Emily Grant Hutchings claimed her 1917 novel, Jap Heron, a novel written from the Ouija board, she said it was dictated by Mark Twain's spirit. Oh, God, her book, really? Through oh. a Ouija board. Much of William Butler Yeats's later poetry was inspired by the Ouija board. He didn't use one, but his wife did. Uh-huh. Thought that was interesting. Ouija boards have been featured in numerous movies over the past century, most famously in The Exorcist in 1970. And even Norman Rockwell did a painting of a couple using a Ouija board in 1920. I think I've seen that. But it was kind of yeah. a flirtatious illustration. It's it, The girl's got her head thrown back like uh-huh. she's having a seance, and her fiancé is lovingly looking at her across this Ouija it board. It was a rage back in the day. And in the 20s, yeah. When I did it, it wasn't a rage, but it was woo-woo. Woo-woo. Of... Okay, Bob, what famous singer boxed? Under the name of Kid Crochet. <laughs> Kid Crochet. I knew that uh, Bob Hope boxed under Packy East. That was his name as a, before he became a comedian. But Kid Crochet, a singer. Uh-huh, famous. Is this in this century, the, the 21st century? The 20th. Kid Crochet. Kid. Somebody with Kid. It's not Kid Rock, is it? No. Okay. You'll get it if I tell you his uh, real name. Okay. Dino Crochetti. Oh, Dean Martin. Yes. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Kid Crochet was yeah. his. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he was a boxer as a teenager, and that was his name. I thought that was pretty funny. Wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> it doesn't sound very Italian tough, does no, it? No, it doesn't. He was always acting like, I'm drunk all the uh, time. Yeah, that's funny. Now, he was from Youngstown, Ohio. That was a tough town, so he probably came up in a tough neighborhood, and boxing was one of the things you did to as a defend yourself. Yeah. Marsha, are you a computer expert? Yes. Oh, really? Okay. Then tell me what Backrub is. Backrub. It's the original name of something to do with computers. Backrub. It's, uh, it's, uh, I don't know. It's the original name of a search engine. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, a search engine, not Google. Yes, Google. Yeah? It's the original name of Google. Backrub. Yeah, it began as a grad school research project at Stanford University. A lot of people know that, and Larry Page and Sergey yeah. Brin. They called the search engine Backrub because the system could check back links on a website. Yeah. It was the first search engine that could rate a site based on how many people went to it. So they came up with the name Backrub. Sean Anderson, who was another member of the team when they were looking for a different name other than Backrub, they said, what about Google? Because they knew this from mathematics. Oh. But he accidentally misspelled G-O-O-G-L-E instead of G-O-O-G-O-L. And there's nobody using that word. So they changed the name of Google, the mathematical uh-huh. term G-O-O-G-O-L, to the spelling we use today. Wow. That's... So it was an accident. The spelling of that word was an accident. It's my favorite uh, for everything search engine. That's for sure, Google. And it was originally called Backrub. Wow. 
What do Marlon Brando, Mel Gibson, Clark Gable, and Errol Flynn all have in common? Marlon Brando. Mel Gibson. Errol Flynn. Clark Gable. Well, none of those people are using their real names. And Errol Flynn. I'll give you a hint. They all had the same role. Oh, they all played Robin Hood. No. Oh, okay. I can't see Clark Gable being Robin Hood. Frankly, my dear. (laughs) I don't give an arrow. Uh, Maid Marion. Oh, Maid Marion. What what role? Frankly, Mr. Christian. Oh, uh, they all played. Fletcher Christian. um, I didn't realize Mel Gibson did that. In Mutiny on the Bounty. So all those names again, who are they? Marlon Brando, Mel Gibson, Clark Gable, and Errol Flynn. I think I saw everybody in it, but not Mel Gibson. Yeah, but I know that Clark Gable and and obviously uh, Marlon Brando, I remember those two. Yeah. Brando was really good in that. Okay, go ahead. Okay, what computer game business's name was chosen specifically so it would sound Japanese? This is a famous computer game company at one point in history. Pokemon? No. no that's not a... Starts what? with an A. An A? Atari. Re? Atari? <laughs> Atari? <laughs> remember, remember Atari? Yes, I do. That was a company based in Northern California, but its founders named it Atari. They wanted their customers to think it was Japanese because that was back when the Japanese companies... Sony and Nintendo were the leaders in game electronics back yeah, then. Yeah. So they came up with that name, even though it was American. They wanted it to sound Japanese yeah, at the time. Yeah, I'll be darned. Yeah, kind of fun. Okay, last question. Why did George Lucas file a lawsuit against President Ronald Reagan's administration? Because it had to do with Star Wars. Yes. Because Reagan and his people began using the term Star Wars to promote his computer-controlled space defense program. And Lucas wanted to protect his film title and called it trademark infringement. He lost the battle. <laughs> okay, and uh, I can uh, end with a bar joke. Okay. okay. All right. Charles Dickens walks into a bar and orders a martini. And the bartender asks, olive or twist? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> oh, God. And what's the answer? <laughs> Uh, I was always the kid that'd say, well, what's the answer? Yeah, I'm sure you were. And here's an irony of U.S. history I don't remember ever reading. Who is the man who gave us the first United States Chamber of Commerce? Uh, Should I know him? Well, he's kind of an infamous character in American history, early American history. Was it uh, Benjamin Franklin? Infamous, Marcia? I thought we loved Benjamin Franklin. We do. Yes, we do. It's King George III. Oh, yeah. The, the monarch our forefathers rebelled against during the American Revolutionary War. The New York City Chamber of Commerce was the first chamber of commerce in America. And guess what it was incorporated under? A royal charter granted by King George in 1770. And we want to invite any rampers out there who would like to submit questions to us to do so by going to our website, which is... Theofframp.show. And go to... Contact us. <laughs> and there you can uh, give us the question, the answer, where you got it, and uh, and where you're from. We want yeah. to know where you're from, Tell too. Tell us where you're from. So thanks for our correction from our friends about the light years question. That was great. We appreciate that. That's it for today. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with... The Off-Ramp. Off-Ramp. 
The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.